Thanks for joining our YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please click that subscribe button to join our community. That way you get notified each and every week a message pops up. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. <laughs> hey, what's up, risers? How y'all doing this morning? Good to see each and every one of you. If you're new to our church, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor, and we're going to continue to experience God for the next few moments. I uh, just want to celebrate. Uh, last night, I had the opportunity to speak in our Arise India service, our Arise India campus. I uh, had a blast. That's always fun. It's like going on a missions trip without leaving Hillsborough County. Y'all should go check it out sometimes. It's a blast. And they have amazing food because they have, they have snacks afterwards. Their snacks looks like Golden Crow Buffet, like the snacks, but... That's always amazing. But I talked to a couple, and I thought this was so cool. I talked to a couple that their lives have been changed through our church ministry, through the Arise uh, India service, that found us on a uh, one of the, um, the, the, the touch cards in a restaurant. I think it was O'Reilly's or something like that, they said. Uh, in Tampa, somebody had left a card. They found it. That's a very unique ministry. Both of them are from India, both of them from Kerala, the southern state of India, where they speak Malayalam, and came because they found that card. So praise God to whoever's leaving the cards around. Keep leaving the cards around. Keep inviting people. You never know whose lives are going to be changed just because they see something like that. Amen. Hey, I uh, also want to celebrate this, and this is an unusual celebration, but I want you to hear my heart that at Arise, we have a kingdom culture, not an American church culture. Are y'all with me? We fight to keep it that way. And so back in October, Pastor Joshua Sanders, our connection pastor, came to me and said, hey, uh, the district official for the Church of God, that's his background with the Church of God, and his dad was a Church of God pastor for years, or is, uh, he said, the district superintendent has reached out to me and wants me to plant a church in Indiana. And this is back in October. And he said, what do you think about that? And you could see it all over his face. He's smiling. And, and I'm like, bro, I think you should do it. Now, this is where it's weird because I know a lot of people grow up in churches that you hold people very tightly. And you don't allow them to become what God's called them to become because you want them to keep being served here. We're not like that. And so to some people, you're like, that's an odd response. And I'm like, no, that's what God's called you to do. I can see it all over you. I'm 100% for you. There is no issue with Joshua. There is no, like, he's not mad at us. We're not mad at him. There's no issue with Joshua. Everything is amazing. He's really going to leave a big hole here in a, in a way that we're currently filling. And, and so we, there's no issue. But we celebrate the fact that our church gets to give birth to another church outside of, I think it's Evansville, Indianapolis, Indiana area. Yeah? And celebrate with Pastor Joshua and his family. So they will be leaving. Next Sunday will actually be their last service with us. Uh, and they're leaving. And Easter of next year, they will be launching their church in Indiana. So really excited about that. At the same time, it is a little hard because we love him to death. Uh, but if you want to see him over the next week and a half, two weeks or so before he leaves, uh, make sure you reach out to him, take him to breakfast, lunch, whatever. Uh, and just love on him because they are very special to each one of us here. Amen. I also want to quickly mention this. Our spiritual emphasis this month is worship. Worship. Think about this. What environment were you created to live in? If a fish was created to live in water and a worm or an ant created to live in the ground and a lion or a tiger created to live on top of the ground and a bird created to live in the trees and then flying around, what environment were you actually created to live in? Some of you might have different answers for that and say, well, I was created to live on the earth, of course. But I want to take you all the way back to the book of Genesis and say you were not just created to live on the earth. You were created to live in God's presence. 
What made Eden Eden when God made man and put him in Eden isn't the beautiful flowers or berries or fruits growing on the trees or how amazing the nature was and the scenery. That's not what made Eden Eden. What made Eden Eden was God's presence with them, that he would walk with them in the cool of the day, that they were in the very garden of God's presence. You were created to live in God's presence. So anytime you begin to come out of the environment you were created to live in, you immediately begin to die. Now, you don't die immediately, but you begin to. So if I pull a fish out of water, anybody ever been fishing and hopefully you pulled a fish out of water at some point? You know, maybe you put them back, I don't know, maybe you ate them, but you pulled them out of water, the fish immediately begins to die. He begins to suffocate. Now, of course, you could have the fish out of the water for a little bit, depending on the fish, and put it back, and then the fish would be okay. But he begins to die. The same thing if you take a mammal that walks on the earth and you put it submerged into the water. He begins to die. You and I begin to die the second we're submerged into the water, unless we have a scuba tank, uh, into the water. We begin to die, and if we're there long enough, we will die. Are you with me? You were created to live in the environment of God's presence. And when you walk out of God's presence, spiritually you begin to die. Notice Adam and Eve and humans began to die when they walked out of Eden. Death became a natural reality because they were leaving God's presence, the very environment of heaven where you will live forever. Are you with me? You were created to live in that environment. That's why we have to have a discipline of worship, not just a Sunday morning worship. How long can you hold your breath? Come on, somebody. You know, there's some people that can hold their breath for a really long time, and there's others who can't hold it very long at all. But my point is, as soon as you leave the environment of heaven, the environment of worship, you have to spiritually hold your breath till you come back to it. That's why when you're in the environment of heaven, in the environment of worship, God's presence, when you're in that environment, you come alive. You, you ever like you really in intense worship and like your whole body just kind of comes alive. You just feel alive all over again, right? That's because that's where you were created to live. And you've been like a fish out of water that just got put back in the water and now it can breathe. Sorry, I'm preaching a whole sermon right here. I'm apologize. But I want you to see this because that's the environment you were created to live in. And if you're only getting it on Sunday mornings, you're probably suffocating a lot during the week. So therefore, we have to have a discipline of worship, consistent worship throughout the week where we're spending time in God's presence, the very environment you were created to live in. In fact, I'll just share this real fast. I've talked to so many people that during quarantine haven't been back to church in, you know, months. You know, some of them it's been a year now, and so they haven't been back to church, and so they are spiritually suffocating many of these people, and they're spiritually dead, essentially. They come back to church, and all of a sudden they get back into God's presence, and they come alive. And they forgot what they were missing until they stepped foot back in God's presence. Then all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, what have I done? What have I been missing? Can anybody relate? Your worship has to be a discipline, not a Sunday morning thing. And that's why we're emphasizing this month, let's be people who have a discipline of worship. So pray about it, think about it, get in your own way. How can you worship? Maybe it's in the car, maybe it's a lunch break, uh, all kinds of ways. But how can you consistently spend time with God where you feel energized and full of the Holy Spirit? Amen? All right. Hey, last week, uh, uh, we went back to college at the university. Uh, you know, it was the University of Satan's Tricks, Traps, and something. Uh, we went back with Abaddon, our professor, who is teaching us, or teaching his, their class of how to tempt you and trick you. And last week, they talked about lust. 
and they talked about how to tempt us with lust. Let's jump into the classroom this week and see how that worked out and see if she has any other tricks for us. Go ahead and turn your attention to the screens. Welcome back, you ghastly beasts and demonically delightful devils, to your second sinister semester of the unnerving university for terrible temptations, tricks, and traps. I hope you're all having a horrible day so far. My day has been simply vile. I woke up to a breakfast of church gossip, which is always so tasty first thing in the morning. Then I enjoyed a horrific time of stirring up political hatred that led to quite destructive division among the believers. It's the little things that bring me the most vulgar delight. But you're not here to hear about my dreadful day. I want to hear about your temptations with the mortals. You there, did you begin tempting your human? Yes, mighty evidence, exactly as you prescribe. And? Well, I caught my human looking lustfully at Jason Momoa during the Aquaman movie. So I put more images in her mind. But... But what? Later, she went home and repented <laughs> and refused to dwell on those images anymore. Yuck. I hate those goody two-shoes who start calling on their father when they're tempted. The female humans can be so difficult to sway. Well, at least for a rookie such as yourself. What about you? What did you do? So, my human was well on his way to defilement. I was able to tempt him many times throughout the day. But... But then what? Well, mighty Abaddon... Then he went to a men's group. Oh. Something about tall men or men standing up. Arise, men. You let your human go to arise, men? Y yes. Um, he went even though I tried to get him not to. And while he was there, he confessed to his brothers. Oh. And became accountable to them. Oh. Not to look at a woman lustfully. You let him share his issue. What did I say last time about keeping the temptation private? Did you not learn anything? And what about the rest of you? Well, mighty Abaddon, our humans all attend Arise Church. So what? Did you tempt them? No. Well, why not? What do you mean you didn't? Well, 
we were going to, but then they went to church and we just left them alone. Well, what were they doing at a rise church? Pastor Ada started casting out demons, so we just left. You moronic imbeciles! You must keep your humans away from a rise church. They are the worst kind of believers. They actually do what they preach. Give them headaches. Make their kids baseball teams, play on Sundays, or simply convince them that church is less important than family time. Whatever you do, don't let them go to that church. I think I know a way how we can both tempt them and hurt that vile community of Christians. How, Abaddon? There's a subtle temptation that tricks even the strongest of those silly saints. It's not bold enough to be alarmed, so it can slip in unnoticed but it's strong enough to destroy. It's like a poison, taken one drop at a time until it finally brings death. I'm talking about helping them become offended. Make them think that the pastors don't care about them anymore or that Someone is talking about them behind their back, preferably a fellow church member. Or make them know that everybody is aware of the fact that they gained 15 pounds and that they know that their butts look big in those jeans. And the best thing is, these humans already think these things. They are so vain. They think everything is about them. So simply help them dwell on those thoughts. So we help them become offended? Yes. One little offense at a time. And before you know it, they'll be staying home on Sundays because nobody likes me. Or Pastor Ken doesn't care about me anymore or they think their kids are better than mine. <laughs> so go now and remind your mortals of all their insecurities and how everyone else knows them too and loves to look down on them for it. Oh, and by all means, remind them that it's okay not to be okay as long as they stay that way. <laughs> Somebody say, not today, Satan. Not today. That's how we roll up in here. Hey, we live in the age of offense. Can I get an amen from somebody? Like, is that something we can all agree on, at least around this room? We live in this age where everyone is offended. Black people offended, white people offended, Democrats are offended, Republicans offended. 
Then we have all these names of sports teams that offend everybody all of a sudden, and we can't have the Washington Redskins. Now they're just the Washington football team. The football team name is offensive. If you're going to change it, give it a real name. So I'm going to offend you, by the way. Okay. Uh, the Cleveland Indians is all of a sudden offensive. For the record, as a Seminole fan, I would say that the Miami Hurricanes is a very offensive name because hurricanes have destroyed many a house. And the Florida Gators is also an offensive name because children have been eaten by alligators before. And families have been horribly destroyed by Florida Gators. I'm just saying, Seminoles haven't hurt anybody. As an Irishman, I'm offended by the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. I haven't been in a fight since third grade. But we all fight everybody. No, I'm just but, but we get all these offenses, right? They start coming at us from every direction. And now America is in this era of offense where it's almost part of our character. It used to be a, a character thing not to be offended. Now it's part of our nature to be offended. Now, I think Pastor Kieran would say it this way, we're not the USA, we're the USO. Instead of the United States of America, we're the United States of offense. Everywhere we look, people getting offended at everything. Some of the more, in my opinion, and again, you may get offended. I, I, this is okay in this service. Um, some of the more funny ones lately is that people have been offended by Christmas for a long time, right? All of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, uh, Christmas is an offensive subject to talk about. And if you use that title, Christmas, it's offensive. It wasn't offensive years ago, but it's suddenly offensive. I just want to say, I want my presents back. If you're offended at Christmas and I gave you presents, give them back. Come on, somebody. I learned this year that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was offensive because he has the Island of Misfit toys, and that's obviously showing that you can exploit people with, with physical defects or what have you. Dr. Seuss is offensive. We all know that now, which is most of our childhood. Mr. Potato Head is offensive. I learned recently as I was looking it up that Lord of the Rings is offensive because the evil orcs in that represent a social class, and obviously Tolkien was racist inside of making the Lord of the Rings. The Lion King is offensive because it's sexist because it tells the story of Simba, the male lion, but it doesn't tell the story of Nala, the female lion. So it's a sexist movie and it's offensive. The other day we put on, on, on Disney, we put on a, 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 a Aladdin, the, the old version of Aladdin, not the new one, the old one, the original from when I was younger. Uh, the old version of Aladdin, and no kidding, right off the, the very first thing to come across the screen was some of this subject matter may be offensive to certain people. Like it's Aladdin! Come on, y'all, come on. And we live in this age of offense where we're offense, offended by everything. In fact, Pew Research recently said that 60% of Americans think people are too easily offended. I'm offended that it's only 60% of Americans. Come on, are you looking around you? We're offended at everything, and it's rampant in our world, and it leads to this cancel culture where we try to cancel everything that offends us. But then people get offended by the people who are canceling us, and you end up with poop. People offended by offended people. That's a legitimate thing. I found that out searching for this. Poop. People who are offended by offended people. I'm oftentimes, I think, offended by offended people. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, right? And the media is doing all they can to trap us in this kind of thing. It's, it's a bait of Satan, as the famous book says. And the media is doing all they can because it's great clickbait. It makes more money from them if they can get you offended and get you sharing it with other people. I remember a time when it was actually considered a strong character trait not to be offended, not to be easily offended. You remember that? It wasn't even that long ago. 
But now we are all offended at everything. And I, I just want to, before we even really talk on offense, I just want to say this real clear, first of all, that offense is actually good for you. Let that sink in. You need to be offended from time to time. In fact, you will only grow to the level of your offense. Think about all the times you were offended in your growth strategy, in your growth time in life. Uh, in, in kindergarten, first grade, you learned that one plus one was not five. That's an offensive truth. Because five is much easier if you memorized it that way. But your teacher said that one plus one was two. That's an offensive truth. But until you acknowledge that truth and acknowledge that you're not right, you will stay at that level of education and knowledge. Are you with me? Truth is always offensive. Let that sink in. Because truth by its nature, out of the character of God, truth says that there is one right. And therefore, there is an infinite amount of wrongs most of the time. So therefore, when there's only one right, that means there's a good chance that we are wrong somewhere. Truth by its nature is offensive to us. Say it a little deeper. The gospel is offensive. Jesus' words are offensive. I just read the, the Sermon on the Mount uh, this past week. I read through the whole thing. That's offensive that Jesus would say some of the things he said in there. That's offensive. I can either be offended and grow from it, grow to my level of offense, to my willingness to be offended, or I can sit back and not grow. In fact, I'll say it this way. Let this sink in. If Jesus has not offended you from time to time, I question whether you have an actual relationship with Jesus. Let that sink in. Because the gospel is offensive the call of Jesus is offensive to our sinful lives, and Jesus will consistently offend us to spur us on to become stronger and better and greater than we were and more like him. Are you with me? You can only grow to your level of offense. And we are anti-fragile creatures who don't need to run from offense. We run into offense because offenses oftentimes actually make us better. But uh, lest we carry on too long about that. I do need to point out that that's actually one of the signs of the last days is an offended culture. In fact, Matthew chapter 24, verse number 10 says it this way. And then many will be offended, talking about the end times, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Does that sound like our culture? Now I want to point out when we talk about the end days, don't get so captivated in America that you lose track of the world. God is moving mightily around the world. At the same time that in the Christian realm, we're facing a lot of difficult seasons in the United States right now. God is moving around the world incredibly. But at the same time, don't neglect the fact that Jesus said, hey, this is what you should expect in the last days. And then if you open up the newspaper or go online, you see immediately that what he prophesied would happen in the last days are happening very much around us. And then he goes on to say it this way in Luke chapter 17, verse 1. He said it this way. He said, then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Let that sink in. You are going to get offended. I don't care how humble you are, how gentle you are, how nice you are. Somebody is going to give you the bird. Somebody is going to roll their eyes at you. They're going to, they're going to treat you ugly. They're going to, they're going to you know, disrespect you. It's going to happen. It might happen before you get to the red light on the way out. I'm just saying that's the world that we live in. We are not very respectful of each other. And therefore, it's a going to come. But woe to him through whom they do come. What is he saying? It's going to happen that you're offended, but we need to be people that are not purposely offending other people. Now, according, truth always offends. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. But there are some things that is nothing more than purposely offensive. We don't need to be those people 
who are doing purposely offensive things. So, since we cannot escape it, you better learn how to deal with it. The good news is the Bible actually has a lot to say about offense. And taking a step further, there's a lot of stories of offense within the Bible that we can learn from about how to handle offense when it comes to us. So let's unpack one of those this morning. Now, the Bible's divided into these two sections, New Testament and Old Testament. Testament just means covenant. It's God's covenant with man. And so the Old Testament uh, is... A whole lot of it is really just the Jewish history and stories from the Jewish people. One of those stories happens when the Jewish people are actually exiled. Babylon destroys them and conquers them. They're exiled out of Babylon, and they end up in these other countries in Babylon, and then later on Persia, because Persia takes over Babylon. And they come in Persia, and about 100 years after the original exile, some of the people, like Ezra and Nehemiah, have actually gone back to Uh, the homeland of Jerusalem, but there's still a whole lot of Jews who are living now in Persia, and they're living as Jewish people, practicing their customs as best as they can in the land of Persia. If Persia sounds familiar, because I I look like I just lost a whole lot of you, have you ever seen the movie 300? Okay, when you read about Xerxes in the Bible, that is King Xerxes in the movie 300 that's coming in to fight against uh, the, 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 are you with me? The 300, okay. And so, so this, this story takes place, and About 100 years after the exile, they're in Persia, and we call it the book of Esther because she's kind of the main character in the book. Uh, We call it the book of Esther. It's an interesting book because it's the only book of the Bible that never actually refers specifically to God, interestingly enough. Uh, and, And somebody, nobody knows who wrote it, but somebody took it upon themselves to write this account of what happens between Esther and the king. And then these two central figures, Haman and Mordecai, I'll explain who they are in just a moment. Okay, are y'all with me so far? So with that being said, uh, uh, Haman has just been elevated in the verse we're about to read. Haman has just been elevated. He was a, 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 a man who worked for the king. The king has just elevated him, put him in a very high position, and basically said everybody should bow down when they get near Haman, the way they would do to the king. So Esther chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, let's read that together, and we'll give you your first point. It said, when Haman, this is that king's official, saw that Mordecai, Mordecai was a Jew, Uh, he was related to Esther for now, because we're going to focus on Haman and Mordecai, not Esther very much, just recognize he's a Jew. So when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, by the way, one of the words for worship, actually the two main words for worship, both mean to bow down. In Old Testament times, the the Hebrew words, when you worship somebody, you usually bow down. So if you were honoring a king, you bowed down to them. And so part of the Ten Commandments says you'll worship no other god. Well, worshiping is bowing down. So he's saying you can't bow down. So Mordecai's not going to bow down to Haman. Okay. So when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. He's offended. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. If you're taking notes, number one, unchecked offense leads to retaliation. And in the worst cases, can grow beyond the offender. Let's let's stop right here for a minute and take it piece by piece for this. Mordecai refused to pay honor and bow down to Haman. Would he have done other things? I'm sure he would have and probably did. But as a Jew, he said, I'm not going to bow down to you. So Haman feels disrespected. (laughs) Anybody in here ever felt disrespected? 
That is one common offense to every person in this room somewhere that somebody has disrespected you. In fact, they say that road rage always goes back to feeling disrespected. And I know you well enough to know everybody in this room would have shot something into that car if you could have that cut you off or is driving too slow or, or whatever, right? Because road rage is a common phenomenon in our society today. Either that or you've had bad customer service somewhere and you feel disrespected. <laughs> and what begins to happen is that it's one thing to be offended, but it's another thing when you cannot let go of the offense, some of you might have heard this before. It's a true thing. But if you want to catch a monkey, they do this in other countries. I actually learned this week that they do it in India. Uh, our India campus people were telling me, oh, yeah, I've seen that. And so if you want to catch a monkey, there's this unusual trap that they will cause, that they'll create. Basically, you connect a board like this to a tree, connect it to the tree, and the monkey will see the board, and you put a fruit on the other side of the board, so an apple, right, something big and beautiful like this. The monkey will stick his hand through the hole and grab the apple, right? He's going to get the apple. you got to put it in a way that that's the only way he can get the apple, but he's got the apple. Then he cannot get his hand back out of the hole while he's holding the apple. And he will hold the apple until the time, or the fruit that they put there, he will hold the fruit until the time that the people come and kill him, refusing to let go of the thing that's holding him back. That's what happens with offense. We get offended, and I refuse to let this joker go. You don't know what they did to me. And it eventually begins to corrode our spirits. If you leave it long enough, it starts controlling us, and it controls our minds and our attitudes, and it begins to be everything that we think about. I know a professor at a large university. I'm going to be cautious of names and such, but I know a professor at a large university who has a reputation that many years ago, about probably now, probably 35 years ago when he was younger, he had a child who was special needs. The church that he attended did not handle that very well at all. In fact, they were offensive to him in how they handled his special needs child. This is probably back in the late 80s. Churches didn't really know what to do with that. The special needs child was making noises in the service, and they didn't have a special ministry for him. And so they essentially, at least the way he would tell it, kicked him out of the church. That's an offensive thing. Right? We would all agree with that. If that's your child, you just got offended. That's an offensive thing. The problem with that wasn't that that was an offensive thing. The problem with that is that all the years later up to now, he's still telling that story and still offended and still sees every church as a person who causes that kind of offense. It's one thing that you get offended. It's another thing that you refuse to let go of the offense so you can live in freedom. And he actually had the reputation of that because it, it carried with him in his classroom and everything he taught. It constantly came up. He was famous for it around the university. He was embittered by what had happened. See, when we get offended, we always want to get even. That's what we do, right? So our natural thing is, I want to get even. I want to get back at them. Get even with them. The problem with that, and just stay with me for a second, the problem with that is this. If they offended you and did you wrong then on the height of things, the morality scale, they're below you, right? That means you were above them. That means if you get even, you have to go down in order to get even with who did you wrong. You don't want to get even. Because now you're going down on what you should be doing, not going up, not, not following the ways of Christ. And we as Christians, we do not fight 
fire with fire. That is not what we do. And I asked you the question, do you want to be made right or do you want to be made whole? Letting go of revenge as we let it go, hear me, is the reason why Christians are the only ones capable of actually pursuing justice. I've said this before many times, but a lot of what's going by the tone of justice right now is really vengeance. Because until you let go of the offense, you will, might call it justice, but what you're really looking for is vengeance. And until you are a person who can let it go, you're not actually seeking out justice because you've got to let it go. Look at your neighbor and say, let it go. Now, in the worst case scenarios, <clears throat> in the worst case scenarios, as in this account with Haman, it actually grows beyond the person who offended you into people who look like, act like, sound like, worship like the people who offended you. This particular professor I mentioned now had an issue with every church. He had an issue with me when I was in his class because I was a pastor of a church. Every church is wrong because of the way that church treated my child. You see what happened there. Mordecai all of a sudden has an issue, or I'm sorry, Haman has an issue with Mordecai, and instead of dealing with it with Mordecai, he starts hating all Jewish people. I know a lady that years ago, she's actually passed away now, but years ago she was molested, sexually molested and assaulted by some black men. She was a white lady. The rest of her life she hated black men. That was a legitimate offense. But then it went from them offended by the people who hurt me to I'm offended by everybody that looks like them. Are you with me? We're seeing this played out in our society. Am I offended by a bad police officer or am I offended by all police officers? Am I offended by this person that hurt me or am I offended by everybody who looks like this person who hurts me? Because we refuse to let go of the apple and we are in this trap. Can't get out. I'm in this trap. A Democrat hurt me. Now I hate all Democrats. <laughs> Did I just get too personal? Republicans said this and I didn't like it. Now I hate all Republicans. Ladies, that man hurt me, and now I hate all men. Hmm. You, ever, you ever have a dog that was like, I've seen this so often, a dog that was like beaten by somebody that looks a particular way, and now that dog growls at everybody that looks like that person, right? So maybe it was a guy who had a beard, and now every time the dog sees a man with a beard, he growls at the man with a beard. We, have everybody seen that? We're, we're like dogs. That one person hurt me. And now everybody that resembles that person that hurt me, in the worst case scenarios, now we want vengeance on all of them, not just the one who hurt me. And that's what's happening right here with Haman. Are, are y'all with me? Is this, are we getting somewhere? It could be all over the place, but that's, that's Haman. Now I want to fast forward to Esther chapter 5. Again, we're telling this story in a different kind of way than many of you have heard it because our focus is Haman and Mordecai, not Esther. And in chapter 5, uh, Esther is now trying to save her people and so she is creating a banquet, basically a big feast, a big dinner for her and Xerxes, the king. And Xerxes invites Haman to the dinner. And let's see what Haman says for point number two. Chapter 5, verse 9 through 12 says this. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Always getting upset with Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. He would have considered himself a good person right there. 
Calling together his friends and Zareth, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons. This is wife he's talking about. I think she knows. And all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person that Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she has planned and gave. And she has invited me along with the king again tomorrow. This is a real quick point, but it's so pertinent to what we're talking about. Number two, prideful people are the most easily offended. Look at this man talking about, look who I am. Let me tell you how great I am. I am rich. I am good looking. I got lots of kids. Everybody bows when they come into my presence. Look how great I am. And when you are full of pride, you get offended by everything. In fact, humble people can be really hard to offend. You ever notice that? They can be obnoxiously hard to offend. You can try to offend a humble person, and they're like, you're like, you're ugly. I'm sorry. My mom made me this way. You know? They can be obnoxiously hard to offend. But prideful people get offended at everything. Uh, Offenses like eyeglasses, when you put them on, you see the world from your vantage point. It's a worldview. You put on these glasses, and so now everybody is hurting you, and everybody else is the perpetrator, and you're always the innocent one because that's how you see the world. We live in a world right now that is absolutely full of narcissism and pride. And therefore, we live in a world where we are constantly offended by everything and anything. You and I in this room have to be different. We have to be people who are humbling ourselves before the Lord, humbling ourselves, not being forced to be humbled by life, but humbling ourselves before the Lord. Therefore, we're not easily offended by everything that comes our way. Are you all with me? So we need to humble ourselves. Let's pick up the story right where we left off. He's been bragging about how great everything is. Verse 13 and 14 as we carry on. He said, but all this gives me no satisfaction. My life is amazing. I got great kids, great wealth. I'm good looking. Everything is perfect in my life. But none of it gives me any satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. By the way, before we even read the next verse, that's what offense will do to you. It will ruin your perfectly good day. Life was good. You woke up and outside of your sink came Kool-Aid and our birds were singing outside of your car and it looked like Mary Poppins or something. Everything was amazing. And all of a sudden, one joker cuts you off and ruins everything that was good going on. That's how offense works. It'll, it's a trap and it'll ruin your perfectly good day. And notice, you don't even know what Mordecai's doing here while Haman is lamenting him. You ever notice, like, you get offended at somebody, and that other person's not even thinking about you anymore? Like, you're all offended, you're frustrated, all up in your feels, and at the exact same moment, that person's at Bush Gardens riding roller coasters playing with his kids. Come on. I was thinking about this yesterday, I was pondering this message, and I don't know why, maybe it's the Lord. He reminded me of this person that offended me many, many years ago. Uh, he, had, he was an adult when I was a, a, a young man and, and tried to start a fight with me and really pushed me and, and, and was offensive to me. And it was funny. I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm pondering this message, thinking about that person, driving down the road and thinking, I could get even with him. And then I had this thought, that man ain't thinking about me no more. That was 20-something years ago. He's not even, I'm not even sure if he's alive right now, just to be honest with you. He's not thinking about me no more, yet I'm going to get all up in my feelings. I'm going to get offended all over again, remembering what he did, pick up the offense all over again. He's not thinking about it. He's living free while I end up living a slave. Are y'all with me? (laughs) 
All right, let's go to, or keep reading, verse 14. His wife Zarephath, or Zareph, and all his friends said to him, Have a pole set up, reaching to the height of 50 cubits, that's tall, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up, so he creates these gallows. Notice what happens here. This, this is important for our story, for the way we handle offense. What happens is we start to wear our offense like jewelry. We become the ladies at a premiere party, all going, oh, look at what you're wearing. That's so nice. Even if we don't really like what they're wearing, we're going to act like we like what they're wearing because we want to be polite. And so Haman gets around his friends. He's like, look at my new jewelry. Look at all this. Look at how much I can't stand this Mordecai guy. I can't stand that guy. And they're all like, oh, I want some of that too. And we want to get. So you end up wearing the same enslavement that the other person started to wear. Are you all with me? Because what happens is we start looking for someone to validate our offense. We want somebody to agree with us and join in our offense. Haman is offended because of Mordecai, and instead of going to Mordecai and dealing with it, he runs to his wife and his friends who then pat him on the back and say, you're right to be offended. This is how you should deal with it. That's a pretty messed up thing. We're looking for another person so often who will validate our offense and make us feel okay with our offense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now I'm offended by Pastor Mike. And instead of dealing with my offense with Pastor Mike, because that's hard. I don't want to have to deal with that. So instead of dealing with that, I go to Pastor Tina. Let me tell you what Mike did. Mike has been blah, 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 blah. So what happens? Pastor Tina gets in the same trap that I found myself in. And I share it with a crowd, and everybody ends up in the same trap that I find myself in. And before you know it, everybody doesn't like Pastor Mike anymore, not because he did anything to you, but because you heard that he had done something to me. Don't bring your drama to others. If Mike hurts your feelings, go to Mike, deal with it, and move on. Don't bring your mess to others. I heard this story of this, this kid who his dad had brought a brand new Mercedes all excited about it, and the kid somewhere playing around had stepped in dog poop and got inside the Mercedes. You know how kids stick their feet on the back of the chair? Okay. Sometimes you step in other people's poop, and you carry it into all of your nice world, and it wasn't even your poop to begin with. People offended by offended people. Are you catching on to what I'm doing there? You step into everybody else's poop, and you carry it into your clean world, and then wonder why it's so stinky. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But as, as friends, our default is usually to prove our loyalty to somebody else by acquiescing, acquiescing to them. And instead of telling them the truth, we tell them what they want to hear. The truth is that we actually care more about ourselves than we do the other person because we don't want to have the hard conversation. We care more about ourselves. This is why, if, if this scenario actually played out, let me tell you how it would play out. If I got offended at Mike and then I took it to, Christine, or took it to Tina... You know what would happen? Pastor Tina does this thing that we refer to as a kiss slap. Anybody ever been kiss slapped by Pastor Tina? See, here's the truth. Some of you don't even, she does it so good that some of you don't even know that you've been kiss slapped by Pastor Tina. Pastor Tina can tell you you are ugly to your face and you feel like she did you a favor. 
you are the ugliest thing I have ever seen. Let me help you out with it. And you're like, oh, thank you. You know, We call it a kiss slap because she slaps you at the same time she's kissing you. And you're like, what did she just do there? That was good. So what would happen is if I took it to Pastor Tina, Pastor Tina would say something along the lines of, hey, I know you're offended at Pastor Mike, but you should really take that to Pastor Mike instead of bringing it to me. Why? Because that is the way the kingdom works. I'm not going to take somebody else's offense. Pastor Tina's not going to take on my offense. That's the way the kingdom works. And true loyalty is in your honesty, not the affirmation of the offense. If you want to be loyal to your friend, tell them the truth, not the affirmation that they're looking for. Might there be an underlying issue in this story that the person's not recognizing? Let me answer that for you. Yes, there is. There always is. Might there be another side of the story that you're not hearing? Yes, there is. There always, 100% of the time, there always is. You heard a paragraph, but there's a book, okay? Sometimes you've got to read some more before you can start making those kind of calls. So what do you do? You take them to Jesus. Some of you know how this story is going to end, but I would ask you this. How would Haman's story be different if his friends had just called it what it is? Can you be real for a second? How stupid is it that Haman's losing his mind over Mordecai? Haman has everything. He's bragging about everything he has. He got one joker that won't bow down to him, and his whole world revolves around that guy. Come on, man. Enjoy what you got instead of focusing on everything you don't have. King Saul did the same thing. That was part of his fall. King Saul focused so much on David instead of focusing on the kingdom and everything God had given him. He's focused on the one person that's frustrating him. You've got to be careful of that. It's so silly. So let's go to the first, fourth point, and we're, we're practically done at this point. So four, <clears throat> at the banquet, Haman has been called by Esther. He's been called out by Esther for his scheme. Esther has now showed Xerxes what's going on, that he's trying to kill the Jews, and that Esther herself is a Jew, and she hadn't told anybody that yet. And so, so now the king is enraged. And let's read Esther, Esther 7, verses 9 and 10. How does it end? Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole, because the king's like, what do I do with this guy now? He's ticked me off. He said, hey, uh, uh, I heard about this pole reaching to the height of 50 cubits that stands by Haman's house. He had it built for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. That's Haman. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Y'all see that? Mordecai is supposed to be impaled by Haman, but Haman is impaled by the king for what he's doing to Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. This is, why the, this is why the book of Esther is such an amazing book. You should go read it. It's only 10 chapters. It's very short. It really could be turned into and has been turned into many times into books and stories and plays and movies. In fact, we had Tommy Tenney one time speak at our church. He wrote the book that got turned into the movie, A Night with a King, that was about this. And, and offense, number four, eventually hurts you more than it hurts the offender. Eventually it will hurt you more than it hurts the offender. Fender. Haman is killed on the very gallows that he erected for Mordecai. Offense destroys you. It doesn't, it doesn't destroy the offender. You have to let it go. Let me be clear on this. 
There are a lot of things that Jesus does for us, a lot of things the Holy Spirit empowers us. But when it comes to letting go of offense, you are the one holding on to it. And you can pray for empowerment from the Lord, but God will not drop the offense for you. You have to drop the offense yourself. And when you drop the offense for yourself, all of a sudden you're not trapped in the thing that trapped you the whole time. All right, let me end with this. Everybody lean in for a second. We're closing. Real talk. I told you a second ago that true loyalty is telling you the truth, not what you want to hear, not validating your offense, but telling you the truth about your offense. So let me give you real talk. Let me give you two points as I wrap up. Real talk. Number one, if you choose offense, you choose not to walk in fellowship with God. Hear me. Hear me. Have you ever, we've all probably been to an airport, right? You, you go to the airport, you, you go through a checkpoint, and then before you can get into the terminal, the, the place where you're actually going to get on the airport, in the airplane, you got to go through a terminal, and in the terminal, there's certain things you cannot carry with you in order to get to the other side. There will be places in your spiritual walk that until you let go of the offense, you're not going to the other side. Let that sink in. Forgiven people forgive people. You and I are called to be people that drop the offense and forgive those who have offended us. And if we are harboring an offense, it means one of two things in my opinion. One, it means you've never been forgiven by the Lord. Or secondly, you've forgotten how you've been forgiven by the Lord. Because when you compare how you've been forgiven for all of your sins by the Lord with what so-and-so done to you, you begin to drop that offense because you can't stay offended with them and ask God to not be offended with you. I'm telling you, this is real talk. Everybody can't handle it. You might be offended at me saying this, but if you choose offense, you're choosing not to walk in intimacy and in depth with the Lord. Secondly, you have to let it go because it holds you back from your future. <clears throat> the one thing about everybody's offense is this. It's always in the past. Nobody's offending you in the future. It's always in the past. And God has this great plan for your life. He's got this great uh, goal for your life. This we In the church world, we use the word destiny a lot, right? It's destiny for your life. It seems grand and all this. God has a direction he's taking you. As long as you are holding on to this offense, it becomes an anchor to you getting your destiny. Hear me. I know they offended you. I know they hurt you. I know they did you wrong. Dropping the offense is not about that they didn't do you wrong. It's about I got a future that's more important than my past of how they did me wrong. So I've got to let go of this offense because I got somewhere I'm going with the Lord. I got a future. I got a ministry. I got a place he's taking me. I got a future with him that I, I got time to hold on to this junk from the past. I got to let it go. Look at your neighbor and say, let it go. We end up using all of our power, holding on to the past instead of creating the future. Listen, if no one else cuts you loose, you have to be willing to cut you loose yourself. That person will probably never apologize. That person may not even realize they did you wrong. It doesn't matter. You have to let it go. Let it go. Would you stand up with me around the room?
The ultimate, the ultimate example of this is Jesus. He's always our ultimate example for everything. And anything Jesus does, we want to imitate what he does and be Christ-like. That's what Christian means. We want to be imitators of Christ. Think about one of the most, if not the most offensive thing in the history of the world. Jesus is put on a cross, nailed to the cross after being whipped with a cat of nine tails, carrying his own cross up the hill, so dead that he would not even live very long on the cross before he would die compared to what they would normally live. Already beaten half to death before he gets nailed to the cross, dropped into the hole, barely able to breathe, having to pull himself up by the nails in order to be able to breathe. And in that moment, there are jokers talking trash about him right in front of him. You got to be kidding me. Come on, he saved others. He can't save himself. Yeah, look at that guy. Come on, really? Really? I don't care how hard you are. You don't need to be talking trash to him. His life's already over, man. Come on, really? But that's what you're fighting them doing. Casting lots for his robe in front of him. And you know what Jesus did? He called down a legion of angels from heaven and said, Smite them, most holy smiter. Take him out, Lord. I'll show you who I am. Don't talk trash. I'll shush. You don't know who you're talking to. If you've ever said those words, that's a spirit of offense. That's pride. And I bet we've all said those words to somebody. He didn't do any of that. They're saying ugly things about him, talking trash. He looks down, barely have any breath left in his body, and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's not just a good story. That is our model. That is how we are called to respond. So in those moments that you get offended, and I don't know any way not to get offended in the moment immediately. You know, you can walk in humility, that'll help. But the second you catch that offense, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And you're actually dropping the offense so that you can live in freedom. Jesus was not going to die with an offense in his heart because of these fools of what they were saying to him on the cross. There's some of you in this room, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Similar to what he says to them, you come in with all of our sin and all of our shortcomings and all of our brokenness. And sometimes we buy this lie that God wouldn't want me this way. God doesn't like who I am, and so he would not want me to come to him. I got to get cleaned up before I can come to church. That's the silliest lie ever. And Jesus says something very similar to you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all of you who are broken, all of you who are caught up in these entraps, all of you who come in and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, he's saying, come to me. I forgive you just as I forgave those other people. Would you bow your heads with me around the room? If you're in this room this morning and you, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior or you need to come back to him, this morning is a great moment. Your enemy is a very real person. I know we watched this, a video a moment ago and that was fake, but your enemy is real. And he will do anything he can to keep you away from God's presence. Don't let him win. Don't let him win. So in this room right now, you say, I need to give my life to Christ or I need to come back to Christ. I want to pray over you. Would you just do me a favor? Just, just stick your hand up in the air and wave it at me so I can pray with you. Amen. Amen. 
Come on around the room, pray with me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. So from this day forward, I surrender my life completely to you and I will live for you. Forgive me of all of my sin and make me new. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Yeah, yeah. Amen, amen. I invite our prayer team to go ahead and make their way on up front. Don't, don't slip out yet. Stay with me for just a few more moments. I want to talk to everybody else in the room. If you just gave your life to Christ, by the way, make sure you text Jesus to 21777, and we'd love to start a little journey with you with a devotional and some thoughts that we'd love to walk with you on that journey as well as make sure you come up and pray with us and if somebody brought you to church make sure you tell them so they can walk with you on this journey now let me back up everybody else in this room are you holding on to unforgiveness who do you need to forgive now I want you to ponder this question for a second because so often what happens is nobody has seriously offended you this week and your short-term memory is usually greater than your long-term memory. And so if you will listen to the Lord, sometimes it's somebody that hurt you in your childhood that you're still holding on to. Sometimes it's somebody that hurt you 15 years ago. That divorce that happened long before you met this new husband, this new wife, and you're still holding on to that person because of the offense, angry at them. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to let I don't know who this is for. I almost shared it when I first walked up, but during worship this morning, the Lord was speaking this to me, and I want you to hear me. I don't know who you are, but I want you to hear me. Right now, we take care of our granddaughter, and she's learning to sleep in her crib, not in our bed, and every parent, grandparent, you understand. She gets in that crib, and she starts screaming. I mean, you would think you were torturing the poor child until she falls asleep as she gets used to sleeping on her own. It's a horrible thing. It's hard as a parent. I don't know who you are, but there's somebody in this room, at least one person, that you have been crying yourself to sleep at night because you feel imprisoned like the child. And God's saying, I want to release you. I want to release you. You don't need to keep crying yourself to sleep anymore. I want to release you. So I'm going to pray, and then when I say amen, I want to invite you to come on up front. And we would love to agree with you in prayer if you want prayer for anything as we sing one last song, as well as communion is available in the back of the room, and we would love to officiate communion for you right back here on your right and my left. Jesus, we live in this world of offense, and that offense is contagious. We get offended for other people's offense. And everywhere we look, people are offended. But God, we recognize that that is a trap and a lie of the enemy, and we refuse to hold on to our offense any longer, not a moment longer. If you could forgive the people at the foot of the cross, then we can forgive those who hurt us. Lord, I also pray for anyone or whoever this is in this room, more than one, who is crying their self at sleep tonight, last night, then the past nights, feeling trapped in a cage they can't get out of. God, you have called us to set liberty to the captives. And in the name of Jesus, I set you free from this moment on. You will not be bound. You will not have to cry yourself to sleep. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of Jesus Christ himself, we set you free in Jesus' name. No more, no more. And God, every one of us that are holding on to an offense, God, I pray this morning we drop it at your feet. We have been forgiven, therefore we forgive those who offend us. Come on, as this band sings one last song and plays one last song. Somebody's having a pain in their liver too. It's a word of knowledge that was just given to me. If that's you, come on up in just a moment. We would love to pray with you and agree with you too if you're having a pain in your liver. As the band sings one last worship song, let's just sing out to the Lord. Let's forgive as he calls us to forgive. And if you want special prayer for anything, if you have pain in the liver, if you just gave your life to Christ, different things that could come, come on up front. We would love to agree with you in prayer. Come on, Pastor. Thank you for watching this message today. We ask that you hit the subscribe button and share this message on all social platforms. Man, we are hoping that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard. And we cannot wait to see you next time.